0: Well, last week we, we finished up the book of Jonah, not last week, that was two weeks ago. Sorry, I took a week of holidays, so for me, I just kind of hit pause and play again. But this week, uh, we're starting uh, a series in First Peter. And bear with me for this next little picture. Studying studying a book of the Bible is a, is a little bit like butchering a cow. And this is, this is coming from someone who's obviously never butchered a cow, but... When we come to the book of the Bible, the first thing we need to do is is to divide it into smaller parts. Then each of these parts is broken up into uh, even smaller parts, and and we treat each of these passages according to what we find. We wouldn't, or maybe we we shouldn't, I'm not sure how you cook, uh, cook a huge chunk of beef ribs the same way we would would prepare a a smaller scotch fillet. Right, so um, for the last few weeks, in my study, and for the next few weeks, my, my desk is kind of like a, a butcher block, right, covered with a, a whole side of beef, and, and my goal is to figure out where all the breaks are, and how best to prepare each one of these for us all, so that we can have a, a good-tasting meal. Because in First Peter, we have a, a lot of different kind of passages. We have encouragement and teaching, there are commands and comforts. In some places, Peter uses the Old Testament, and in other places, he uses the experience of his audience. And there are different themes throughout the whole book. There's hope and salvation, suffering, holiness, purity, and Christian living. And these themes run throughout the whole book. So part of my focus is to direct, correctly divide this book into passages and then prepare a spiritual meal for us all from the word of God. And as we study together, I want to make sure that I don't prepare a meal for you in a way that it isn't meant to be eaten, right? So if if Peter's focus is hope, what I say should leave you encouraged, not feeling judged or condemned. If the focus of our passage is the, the change that comes to us when we believe in Jesus Christ, the sermon should reflect this in calling us all to live holy lives. So after saying all this about preparing specific meals, I want to today give us the big picture, right? To, to take a step back and kind of introduce us to this whole letter, to get, to get a grip on its, its main points before diving in. So this week has a little bit of everything. So this isn't a steak, but more like uh, the mince that goes into like a really nice burger or sausage. This, this week has trimmings from all the best parts of the letter. So my goal today is to show the purpose of this letter of 1 Peter. So that as we walk through the passages each week, we will be able to continually come back to what we've said today, to the, the big themes and the important applications, because we've done the hard work of, of laying the big picture today. So before I try to stretch this whole butcher illustration a little bit too far, let me, let me switch to a different picture. Right, This, this week is like, um, what we used to do before the days of GPS. When we would actually get up an atlas or a map, and we would map out our route. Um, you didn't just plug it in as you left the, the driveway. So today what I wanna do is is highlight some of the major turns, the big highways that we'll be traveling down as we go through First Peter. And my goal is to drive straight through the letter, following the route that Peter himself, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has laid out for us to follow. Right? But, but before we start this overview and, and turn to the Word, would you pray with me again as we, as we come to God's Word? Holy Spirit, breath of God, you, you have breathed out this Word. In it is encouragement and hope and life. In this Word, we are refreshed because its source is in you, the wellspring of life. So Heavenly Father, you have carried carried this word through 2,000 years and set it before us today. We ask now that you would carry it that step further by your Holy Spirit and bring it to bear on our hearts, that we might learn to live like Christ. Would you shine your light on the passages of this book on each and every page so that we might see and hear your word today as coming from heaven and so that we might be changed into the image of Christ who loved us and who gave himself up for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. We pray this in in his name and for your never-ending fame and glory. Amen. Well, as we turn to 1 Peter, it's, it's different than most of the other letters in the New Testament. All of the letters in the New Testament were written with a specific purpose, Sorry, all, all of them were written with a purpose, but most of them are written with a very specific purpose. right? We saw a, about a year ago that First John was written to protect the church from false teaching. The book of Galatians was written to correct a dangerous heresy, a dangerous teaching that added circumcision to faith, so that in order to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew first. Romans was written to the church in Rome that had a, a few problems, but one of the big ones was racial division in the church between Jews and Gentiles. And another letter Philippians is a thank you letter from Paul to this church who supported him while he was doing missions work. So, a lot of the letters in the New Testament have a very specific purpose, right? They are They are true and they're useful to us because they are God's word, but they were written to a specific church at a specific time sometimes addressing a specific issue in that church. But 1 Peter is not like this. If you look at at verse one and two, 1 Peter was written to five, uh, churches in in five different regions um, in in what is now the country of Turkey. Right, and these five regions stretch across the entire landscape of the country. They cover a whole 334,000 square kilometers. If you're like me, that number really doesn't mean much to you at all. I did a little bit of digging. New Zealand is 262,000 square kilometers. So the church that, that Peter is writing to, they were spread across an area that is one-third bigger again than New Zealand is. This is, a, this is a big area. And so the letter has to address the churches throughout this whole, this whole range. And so instead of um, addressing specific issues, it addresses shared issues. Right? And then because these are shared issues, the solutions that Peter gives are shared as well. Where we have common problems, we also have common solutions. So, like you said, when Paul addresses issues that, that might um, come up for Christians in Rome or in Corinth, but maybe not in Snell's Beach, Peter addresses issues that all Christians face that we can easily apply to our lives. So 1 Peter gives us answers to questions that we face today. Questions that we face even this last year. As I've been studying, one writer put it really well. 1 Peter shows how the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation for the Christian life. The life that we live in the middle of a culture that rejects Christ. This message is something that we can always take and always apply to our lives. So as we as we dive into this kind of Overview. we should keep our ears and eyes open to hear how the Spirit might be speaking through his word. We should keep our eyes open for application because it is especially easy to apply this letter to our lives. And there are two applications, I think, two big main points that are especially obvious when we read 1 Peter. The first is that Christians are to be people marked by a holy hope. And the second is that Christians should be a people of steadfast suffering. So these would be the two two big things that we see throughout the whole letter. Holy hope and steadfast suffering. So take a a closer look at each of these as we fly through this whole letter. So first is holy hope. You might be asking, why is this such an obvious application from the letter? And what what does it even mean? Where does Christian hope come from and, and what is the exact connection between hope and holiness? Those don't really go together um, that naturally. At least it doesn't seem like it. Well, in 1 Peter, I see at least three, three different um, parts to this, this holy hope. And these, uh, this, this hope that is uh, uniquely a Christian hope. Right? The people who don't know God don't have the same hope that we do. And so these are the three parts that, that Peter brings to us. First, every Christian has a secure salvation. Second, every Christian should have an eager expectation. And third, every Christian should, should live with purified patterns for a, a new life. These three things, according to Peter, are some of the things that make up this holy hope. Our secure salvation, our eager expectation, and purified patterns for living. In the next few weeks, or maybe months, uh, we'll, we'll, when we study this letter, we will see all of these things a little bit more closely. But again, today, let me just show you a little bit of where each of these ideas come from. So this first one, our secure salvation, is the most, I think, the most important aspect of our hope for Peter. And it is is—it is throughout the entire letter. Even from the, the very beginning, we read this in, in verse one, sorry, chapter 1, verse 3. That we read earlier. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again. God has caused us to be born again. My son Thomas, who the, the Lord blessed us with a, a few months ago, how much did he contribute to his birth? Anything? No, he was he was born. He was begotten. Right and, and Peter speaks of our salvation very much as a work of God. He, he goes on after verse 3, he says, um, God has regenerated us. God has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus. So just as God raised Jesus from physical death, he has raised our spiritually dead souls to new life. And our salvation is secure because in verse 5, Peter says, our salvation is Guarded by God's power, it is a a work of God, and it is guarded by God. And if this isn't enough to convince you, chapters um, chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen later say this: that we were ransomed. We were ransomed from our powerless way of living with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God ransomed us. Right. like a a hostage that someone else pays a ransom for. You don't break yourself out of something like that. Someone has to come rescue you. I I don't think I have time to go through all the references that I have for God's work in our salvation, so I'll just get to the last one and probably the best one. In chapter five, verse 10, Peter says this, that the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm Strengthen and establish you. Praise God. We have a salvation that is secure. Because God is at work in us. By his Holy Spirit. To keep us. To keep us who have faith in Christ. But again this is only one piece of this holy hope. That that every Christian should have. Every Christian should also have this second part. This eager expectation that I mentioned. Often we, we talk about salvation like it's it's just here and now, right? It's, it's like an insurance policy that, that once you pay um, your fee, you're covered, right? And you actually kind of hope that you don't have to cash in on this insurance policy, but that's not salvation at all. Our salvation as Christians is mostly future, right? You can, all throughout the New Testament, our salvation is future-oriented. And chapter one, verse five says that that we, by God's power, are being guarded, right? That's that's a security, but we're being guarded for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time, right? Not yet. Just before this, in, in verse four, Peter says our inheritance is kept in heaven for us. So as, as Christians, we should be so set on heaven that to truly um, accept our identity as Christians is to accept our identity as strangers here on this earth. I can feel this tension pretty well at this moment because I'm in a country that's not my home, right? The word, the word home for me still brings up pictures of, of cornfields as far as you can see. You could drive 10 hours and still be in corn. Um, I also see snowy winters and, and in the backyard in the springtime it's, it's full of birds. But I don't hear a 2 when I think of springtime at home. I hear cardinals and robins and black-capped chickadees, right? Birds of, of my country. And I think as Christians, we should hear the bird song of heaven when we think of home. Peter calls his audience foreigners to this world. And like the Apostle Paul says in, in Philippians, he says, Our citizenship is, is in heaven, and from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So both this, this security in our salvation and this eager expectation for a salvation that is yet to come, these mark us as Christians. These, and these things, these, uh, the, this security and this expectation that we have for our future inheritance will actually make us different people. Right? Because as we understand our salvation... As we look to the future um, where the, the Spirit of God is, is waiting to give us everything that the Lord has won for us on the cross, this same Spirit of God will begin to press us into the mold of Christ so that at the end of our lives, we will look like Him. You know, we, we will be shaped like Jesus. This is what Peter says in, in chapter 1, verse 13. He says he says to his people, set your hope Fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's this future orientation. This is our hope because when we do this as obedient children, he says, then do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you will also be holy in all your conduct. We are changed people. An illustration I've used before is that when you're when you're driving. You know, we, we just did a road trip and we don't have any toddlers, but I'm guessing when you're doing a road trip with toddlers and someone has to use the bathroom, right, the knowledge that there's a rest stop or a toilet in 3Ks is a lot different than knowing that the next toilet is in 50Ks, right? That, that introduces a little bit of a change in behavior in your three-year-old in the backseat, whether you pull off the side of the road or whether they just give up and stop trying to hold it. 50Ks is a long time. For us, we are, our hope is sure. It's it's imminent. And so this, this produces a change in our life. Our behavior will change. right? And, and Peter summarizes what these purified patterns for living are. And he summarizes them this way in chapter 2, starting in verse 12. He says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If we are truly born again, we will have a holy hope. A a hope in, in a salvation that is secure because of God's work. A hope that eagerly expects a future inheritance from heaven and a hope that is made holy as we purify our patterns of living. Do you have this holy hope? Maybe You've understood the hope path of this. So that, you know, you won't, you won't go to hell, and maybe you'll even get to go to heaven, but have you, have you grasped the holiness side of it? Or maybe you, you've gotten the holiness thing, but for some reason you aren't looking forward to a future day of salvation. You don't really want to cash in on that insurance policy because that sounds painful or maybe boring. Friends, we ought, to, we ought to rejoice in our salvation because this encourages us to live holy lives. Because we hope for a future day of righteousness. If our salvation does not give us hope, I think we need to stop and consider whether we are, whether we have truly grasped the gospel. And if our salvation does not demand and empower holiness in our lives, how real can it be? If. If Holy Hope is this, this first main highway that we're, we're taking through the letter of 1 Peter, now we are kind of merging onto a second highway. Now the second one is steadfast suffering. Steadfast suffering. Really, maybe to, to change the picture again, these two themes are more like the, the two chains that hold up a swing on the playground. If, if we only have one of these chains, the swing falls to the ground. It's not actually 1 Peter. Someone could go through this whole book and just pound the pulpit and preach holiness and would miss part of the point. Or preach just suffering and miss part of the point. But we need both of these if we're going to understand 1 Peter and apply it to our lives. Peter says that the Christian life has both holy hope and steadfast suffering. And just like the chains on the swing, each of these is made up of, of individual links. So I just I just want to point out three of the links that Peter gives us in this second chain of steadfast suffering. As Christians, we are called to suffer, to suffer as strangers in society, to suffer in self-denial, and to suffer as people who share in Christ. If we as as Christians are called to live lives of of holy hope, this will mean that that we cut ties with some of the ways that we used to live. Right? As, as Christians, we have a completely new set of values and a, a different foundation that we use for making decisions than the world around us has. Should we really be surprised when this world, which rejects God, also rejects us? Throughout this letter, we are called to follow the example of Jesus when he went to the cross. To endure suffering with patience. Even dealing with gentleness and respect towards those who are slandering us and, and persecuting us, to endure suffering with patience because of our faith. It makes me squirm to, to think back at this last year going through the filter of chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. That shows us the example of Jesus and how he endured suffering even when it was wrong. He was the perfect, sinless, son of God, and he was slandered, he was um, accused wrongfully of things that he did not do, and he was put to death for it, but he never opened his mouth, and Peter says Jesus provided an example for us in how we suffer in this world. So it's hard for me to think through this last year, through this filter, without squirming at least a little bit. Do we really patiently suffer as Christ did? even when this suffering against us is unjust, even if we know we are right. Peter reminds us to keep our eyes fixed on the hope of our salvation because this will change even how we respond to the culture around us. Right? We, we suffer as strangers in society because we are no longer a part of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. We can put up with more than other people can because we're not set here. We have our eyes fixed forward. This is the first the first bit of suffering that Peter calls us to. The second bit that Peter calls us to is suffering by denying ourselves. Right? Suffering by self-denial is how Peter describes the Christian who battles against sin. We're used to Paul kind of talking in terms of of temptation and and things like this, but but Peter talks about our our battle with sin as a kind of suffering. In chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Peter says... Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. Because whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, and this is the important part, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. <laughs> Peter describes the, the Christian pursuit of holiness in terms of suffering. Right, one, one writer that I read brings this out very clearly. Here's what, here's what it said. Even Christians who do not suffer persecution for the faith are called to the suffering of self. We often think of sin, they say, as being motivated by temptation or pleasure, but maybe the real power of sin lies in trying to avoid pain and suffering. It is better to suffer unfulfilled needs and desires than it is to sin. So thinking about this quote, we we see that we suffer as Christians in in this way, that by denying ourselves the pattern of life that we used to have, we we heap up unfulfilled needs and desires. And this is, is in some ways, a, a kind of suffering. A suffering that our world does not understand, because our world sees every desire as something that needs to be fulfilled immediately. Rather than there might be a good reason for not fulfilling a desire. And as Christians, we do not respond in anger when tempted. We reject the patterns that would pull us into sins, even if the the moment of sin looks like a very fulfilling option, right? Again, we follow this example of of Jesus Christ who did not respond to the people who slandered him by returning insults. He didn't respond in anger, but instead he trusted, Peter says, that God would judge with righteousness on the last day. We have a, a different relationship to sin, a different relationship to our desires than those around us. So both of these two kinds of suffering, whether as strangers in our society or whether suffering in self-denial, both of these connect to this third kind of suffering that Peter talks about, um, following the pattern of Jesus Christ, who suffered. In chapter four, we read this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, Because you share Christ's sufferings. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. If we as Christians suffer because of our relationship with Christ, we, Peter says, we share in his suffering. Paul said to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Should it really surprise us then if When we live like Christ, we are rejected like Christ? Or should we instead be more surprised when we who claim to be followers of this rejected and murdered Savior are accepted and understood by the culture around us? Should it surprise us if we live like Christ, we are rejected by Christ? Or should it surprise us when we live like Satan? I'm sorry, we, we profess Christ and are welcomed by Satan's world. Peter encourages us to patiently endure suffering because we share in the sufferings of Jesus. So this this is our roadmap through the book. It's pretty quick, a little short, but this is our roadmap. These two things, holy hope and steadfast suffering. These are the two chains that, that connect to everything that is said in this letter. The hope that we have in heaven as believers, it is grounded in our sure and secure salvation and, and in an eager expectation of an inheritance that is coming to us. Our holy hope also leads to a, a change of life where we, where we purify our patterns for living because the one who has called us is holy. So as we, as we walk through 1 Peter, this idea of holy hope and this idea of steadfast suffering will come up again and again. 1 Peter was written to this ancient church. This ancient church uh, to, to strengthen and to encourage them because the culture around them was getting more and more hostile to Christianity. That I think today we are in a pretty similar position. Right? More and more, our culture just cannot understand the values that we find in this book that God has revealed in his character and his person and his work We are are more and more pushed to the the fringes of society again as as the whole moral compass of our culture is shifting. So as we come to this letter, I I think we have a unique opportunity as a church to to reevaluate what our priorities are as Christians. And I think the most important thing we can do as we come to this letter is to read it. Do Do you want to know how to have a, a good witness for Jesus Christ at your place of work or with your family or at school? Read this letter. Do you need an encouragement to keep going, to to resist the desire to sin or to uh, remember God's love for you in Christ? Read this letter. Maybe as, as we begin to study this letter together, you can um, you can read it through this week as, as we head to... Um, to diving in more in depth next week, this letter has has five chapters, so you could read one chapter a day, right, Monday through Friday, or maybe it's it's short enough that you could read the whole thing every day. And because it's it's so short, you could read a different translation every day and see different things kind of bubble up to the surface. And as you read, you can you can keep track of different themes in the letter, right? Starting with the, the two that we've seen today: hope and suffering. And maybe a few other things to look for as you read the letter are themes of salvation and humility and purity and holiness and the example of Jesus. You can keep track of these themes on a on a piece of paper like this. It's just A4, folded in half twice. It fits in this little thing, right? And so as you are as you are reading. And the, and, and the Holy Spirit strikes a chord in your soul and your, your eyes are open to the truth of this word, you can just take out the, the piece of paper and, and, and write down a note of, of what the Holy Spirit has, has placed on your heart from the word. And, and next to this, write down the reference. And so then the next time this idea comes up, just write down that reference next to the first one. Right, so as you read through chapter one, you might see holiness. You write down chapter one, verse three. And then later you'll write down Chapter 1, verse 13. And so by the, by the end of the week, you'll, you'll have a list of how God has spoken to you through his word. And then you'll know where exactly to find each one of these things that he's spoken to you in the letter. However you choose to read, get in this book. Open up to 1 Peter and be challenged to live as Christ lived. This letter is a goldmine of truth. Get in it and, 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 and dig around. The culture of, of this world ha- has always been against true Christian living. And so as, as true Christians, we've, we've always been thought of as, as kind of strange, as foreign. Sometimes the arguments we have with people who don't know God, we just miss. It's like we're speaking different languages. This letter, this little letter, is a wake-up call for all of us, I think at least for me, but I think I think for some of you as well, maybe all of us, it is too easy for our eyes to drop from heaven to earth, right? For our concerns and anxieties to look the exact same as the people around us who do not know God. First Peter is a call for us over and over to lift our eyes up to the Lord, to the one who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. a a holy hope, the one who has called us to steadfast suffering as we look forward to the inheritance that will come to us and we follow the example of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? So God, as we stand before you under the teaching of your word, would you fill us with hope and joy that cannot be put into words? Give us eyes to see the truth of your word, patience to walk each day with perseverance. Let our lives be marked by holiness, hope, and steadfastness as we follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ who suffered in our place. Teach us as your people to reflect your holy and good character. By your Holy Spirit, would you set us apart and mark us as exiles, strangers on this earth. God, we ask that in our lives we'd be seen the light and glory of the gospel, so that when, when people who do not know you see us, they give you glory. Would you let this world praise you because of the salvation you are working in us? Give us patience and eager expectation as we wait for the salvation from heaven. It is to you that we give all our, our praise and our honor and our thanks for all that you've done and for all that you are. Amen.